Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Soshing with Suntwe. Yeah. Uh, today, we've got a nice, uh, a nice little lineup here with uh, David Amiot, and we'll be talking about uh, post-COVID uh, conservation and guiding. And um, if you're already with us, you know the drill. If you've done this before, drop us a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Say hi. Say hi to the others. And uh, let's get this show on the road as fast as possible. Um, for those of you who don't know, Soshing with Suntwe is basically, Soshing comes from a Zim slang word, which means socializing. And Suntwe is my nickname from the Zambezi, which means hyena. And uh, the reason I'm was given that name is a whole long story which we can go into another time but if you're interested you can go on my website and read it in the chronicles of Suntwe. Um, this uh, live broadcast for those of you who are with us live is going out exclusively to the Soshing with Suntwe group. If you're wanting to get involved in the comments guys uh, please by all means do you're just going to have to click the there's a little thing that says allow StreamYard something or another to show your name or something. I can't remember what it says, but it's there. If you're not with us live and you're with us on the on the YouTube video, welcome. And if you're with us on the podcast, very welcome too. I know you can't see us, but you can hear us. And if you do want to ever join us live, join the Soshing with Suntwe group and get involved in the conversation, ask questions. Please don't hold back. Get involved as much as possible. It helps us. It helps you. We're here to we're here to interact and chat. It's not a monologue. I can see there's 12 of you watching already, which is magnificent. I'm just trying to get up the, the video onto my other screen here, but it seems to be, I don't know what's going on. But anyway, let's, well, oh, there we go. I found it. Oh, can you hear it? Whoops. Turn that sound off. Um, cool. So without any further ado, let's welcome uh, David Amiot. David is a, a very good old friend of mine from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, and uh, he's been in the, the guiding industry for a while now. He has his own company called Safari Guide Africa. So we'll drop links to that later. So check it out if you if you are uh, interested in that sort of thing and give him a, a like and a follow. So uh, welcome, David. How are you doing, my man? Paul, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, hey, we're all good here in Bulawayo. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm so excited you know, to be with you and be able to share you know, with, with you and, and everyone out there um, you know, our day-to-day -day life in the bush and uh, especially, you know, with today's challenges of the post-COVID uh, world that we live in. Yeah, so there's 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 a couple of main issues I want to talk about. I like how you got into um, guiding and, and where you came from and what pushed you in that area is a big one. And then obviously we want to cover, you know, um, the sort of anti-poaching conservation side of things, um, especially how COVID has affected the, the anti-poaching uh, from a from a funding point of view and all of that. So let's just start right at the beginning. And um, what made you decide to go into uh, traipsing around the bush for a living? Well, you know, the, the, the most extraordinary thing, I, I think, you know, for, for me, you know, being lucky enough to, to have uh, been brought up in the bush and, uh, you know, mom and dad had a cattle ranch in Shangani. And with that, you know, spent many, many school holidays, um, literally, in fact, dedicated school holidays were spent out in the bush, you know, walking around and, and just enjoying the outdoors. Dad was a fanatical botanist and he loved these trees. And so with that, you know, came, you know, natural passion. He'd have his old, you know, tatty old, uh, you know, Coates Polgrave, you know, book, which had, you know, he'd had for about 35 years, you know, it just 
strewn in a bag, you know, that, uh, that literally mum had hand sewn out of some old curtaining. And uh, so it was, you know, with that, with their passion for the bush that, uh, you know, kind of rubbed off a little bit on me. So, you know, yeah, so a lot of old friends, old family friends had been, you know, with the department's national parks were old parks, ranges and what have you. And uh, so, you know, so for me, that was always the way that I wanted to go was to be involved in wildlife. Didn't mm. quite know exactly where we were going to go, but most certainly I knew that I wanted to be in the bush with the wildlife in natural places and spaces. So, yeah, there we go. So It's so, so that's, often that's the case, though, that um, it's something that's really bred into you from the beginning by a father or a relative of some sort, uh, an uncle or, or a grandfather. It's just, uh, it's really something that coming from a similar background to you, it's it's just in your blood, really, isn't it? It is, it is, Paul, 100%. But, but yeah, um, yeah. So, 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 so when, when you, um, did you leave school and then just go straight into it? Or did you skirt around other issues before deciding that this was the way forward? You know, for me, I could never quite figure out exactly how I was going to do it because you know, in Zimbabwe, there was never any formal college or there was never any any formal way in which you could, you know, just go in and pursue what you wanted. And mm. so with that, yeah, dad had an accounting practice. So I did a little bit of fiddling around straight after school uh, with that and, you know, tried speculating beef a little bit here and there. And, you know, but for, that was for a couple of years. Um, and then and fun, you know, and with that started to submit now my CV into wherever I possibly could, um, you know, of, of the guys that I thought were were recruiting. And uh, so with that, I submitted my CV with uh, with uh, Dingwall Safaris, it was called at that time. Mm -hmm. And the other one called, um, you know, Star of Africa Safaris, which was actually Alan Elliott. Um, and right. I mean, up Dingwall Safaris uh, took my CV and about two weeks later, um, uh, Star of Africa called Mum, and so you know, and and you know, obviously it was too late. I was already working for these guys, and you know, so the die was cast, and and we continued on in the industry. So you were <laughs> you were very lucky to have uh, options. You weren't fishing too many uh, places, and no no major rejections. So you you put your applications in and got something quite quickly. That's very lucky. Yeah, no. Well, there, there was one in particular that, that I that I applied for and I didn't get. Oh right. Um, yeah, yeah. There was one that I didn't get right at the beginning, Paul. And ah. uh, so yeah, and and you know, I got a, a wonderful letter. He's probably one of the world's greatest gentlemen. And uh, you know, I, I sat you know, sat in the interview and uh, you know you know told him about my experiences this and that and you know and and with that um, he wrote a lovely letter to say, listen, you know, it's it's. Yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, the position has been full. Thank you for your application. And so, yeah, so with that, uh, I can't bother. But, um, yeah, those were the guys that took me in. So there it was. Well, so you're lucky. Was, you're lucky. Uh, yeah. You're lucky you got a, a nice rejection letter like that because I'll tell you what, the at December December last year, I must have sent out probably 300 job applications when I was here, here in the UK. And of those 300 plus job applications I sent out, I probably got 10 rejection letters that weren't nice rejection letters, and the rest just ignored me. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 but this is a oh man, 
Yeah. But it's also interesting because it's nice to know that it's 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 a rare occasion. It's nice to see someone who applies for something and gets snapped up uh, quickly. But it's very rare for that to happen. And most of the time, you forget the story of uh, how you've had to go through many rejections before you get to the success at the end of the day. That's a, that's a very true story, Paul. 100%. Yeah. But yeah. So how many years guiding now? So yeah, so just over 20. Just over 20 years we're at. Are you, are you old so, enough to have guided for 20 years, David? 1999. The shit part of that is that you're just telling me that I'm getting my dollar, mate. <laughs> but unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, that's, I'm not that's, supposed to be old enough to know anyone who's been doing something for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's the reality of life, isn't it? When you blink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm still 22. Yeah, crumbs. Don't we all wish that? Except when <laughs> I wake up in the morning and my bones creak, and then I realize I'm not anymore. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. When, when, you, you, know, when you get up to get your, to do your five BX workout plan, you know, and uh, you get up all enthusiastic, and then you do your ankle and oh crumbs. Yeah, you know, having done a star jump. Like, ah, oh, no, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used, I used to do a hundred star jumps, now I can do three. <laughs> Isn't that a true story? My word, <laughs> anyway. So, tell us a bit more about your work and your company, uh, Safari Guide Africa. So, Paul, about, uh, about eight or nine years ago, uh, when, when was it? I need to probably be more precise in about 2013, okay. Um, I found that there were some magnificent lions in Wanga National Park. Um, in fact, later they became quite, uh, quite famous, Cecil and Jericho, where you had the most amazing photographic opportunity presented to people, both on foot and from a vehicle. These lions were partially habituated. Mm -hmm. And so you could, you know, not only, you know, walk up to them. And now, you know, Wanga lions are vastly different from Mana lions and lions elsewhere. And, um, you know, so I was getting all this incredible footage of, of these lions, you know, in their day-to-day -day, um, situation, in addition to, you know, buffalo, elephant, lions hunting buffalo, you know, the dogs, you know, chasing them down in a herd of impala. So there was an enormous amount of video footage that I was mm. getting at that time that I really felt that needed to be shared, you know, out on, on social media. You know, it was something that I wanted to... I wanted to share with like-minded people to give them an opportunity back at home to experience what I was experiencing, you know, out on foot and from a vehicle. Amazing. So with that, um, I started up a, a little channel on YouTube called Safari Guide Africa. And, you know, and literally it, it just grew from strength to strength. Um, we, we moved on to Facebook. In fact, Facebook was the first platform and then onto YouTube and then, and then onto Instagram. And it's, it's just been the most extraordinary journey, you know, being able to share with, with people our day-to-day, -day, um, you know, life on Safari. Mm -hmm. um, so, so Safari Guide Africa, over time, um, unfortunately, Safari Guide Africa, the name, got snapped up by someone else. And in that time, we wanted to now, you know, start up our own website. And with that, you know, started up then Safari Guide Africa with a K because that was the only domain that was available. So, you know, so that's where Safari Guide Africa with a K, um, you know, came in. 
But oh, I see. Wonderful. And then obviously with the years of guiding came a number of requests, um, you know, for for private guided safaris, you know, people saying, well, you know, crumbs, you know, you guided me eight years ago, you know, um, you know, would you, are you available to, to take us to here or there? Or, and so this is where the, the private guided safaris and journeys now began. And so, you know, Safari Guide Africa being just a natural platform to work on, you know, it's now become and evolved into Safari Guide Africa private guided safaris. Although Amazing. the social media also continues, and you know. so um, tell me your 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 guiding. Do you do you take care of the logistics and the guiding for an entire trip, or do you just specifically focus on the actual walking safaris? Do you partner with um, accommodation, or how does it how does it work? So, Paul, I, I found out you know some years ago through a lot of toil that you know the the the, the, the best and and you know, way to do it in terms of guest experience was to rather leave it to the guys that already had camps, had areas, and could offer the best possible product in the best possible areas. Mm. So with that, I wanted to maintain to some degree uh, a level of quality, but by the same token, be able to focus on the guiding, on my guiding, you know, to be able to give the guests the best possible, um, you know, guided safari you know, without taking away from their um, uh, their, their accommodation and, and, the, and the quality of their food and the hot showers. So with that, what I partic- what I do in particular is I partner up with, you know, lodges and camps. In fact, uh, we have a wonderful uh, repertoire, um, you know, with the booking agents that we use. And with that, you know, so what will happen is that people will get in touch with Safari Guide Africa to inquire on a safari. Mm. And then with they will then, uh, we will then, you know, pass that booking on to what is called a DMC, a destination management company. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who specialize in, you know, camps and lodges and understanding, you know, what the, the particular guest is looking for. Bearing yeah. in mind, some people are looking for, um, you know, everyone looks for a hot shower, but some mm-hmm. people look for a bucket shower and other people look for a more luxurious Electric shower, and and the, the the really odd thing is that you know say the gas heated shower that's you know built into a brick wall, and the bucket shower actually do, you know they 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 poles apart in terms of the type of camp that the guest is looking for, and yeah. so you know, we go we range from you know your 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 bush camp which is a much more um, low footprint type camp which is you know a little seasonal tented camp which is put up either per safari or by season, mm. uh, right through to, uh, you know, the type of camp that, you know, would be, say, classic example is the hide, where you mm. have, you know, uh, luxury accommodation, you know, which is on a, a concrete uh, slab in, you know, sort of semi-permanent structure, mm. you know, so, you know, so it does, it does range, um, you know, and I, I've never wanted to, to take away from, you know, from the, the quality of that guest experience, you know. So with that, much rather partner with with people that are already in the game and understand what is needed by the guest. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's about uh, sticking to what you're good at and focusing on your strengths at the end of it and uh, letting those uh, 
who are good at other things do what they do, isn't it? And then obviously the synergy that results is 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 great. I'm I, one of the things that I've always tried to to do is look for win-win situations wherever possible. And a lot of the time, people end up competing with each other where there's no need to compete. And exactly. I think I think the way you're doing it is obviously the most logical and and easy win-win situation that creates uh, opportunity for for the most players out of one experience. So exactly. yeah, I think that's exactly. a fantastic way of doing it yeah we've it's got just, some you know, sorry carry on yeah you know it's just such a joy to to be able to share with with people the bush you know Absolutely. and to be able to, to be able to show them the natural flow and the dynamic and each area has a different natural flow and so you know once you start to understand the natural flow you're able to you know you're, you're able to 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 usher your guest you know through the through their experience in whatever area you're guiding them in. And that, that's really where your focus needs to be at the end of the day. You know, not worrying as to whether their shower was actually hot or, you know, obviously we, that's what we do as yeah. private guys. We, you know, you've got to make sure that, that everyone looks after. But by the same token, you know, you don't want to be personally micromanaging that. Rather, leave that to the guys, you know, that's, that are already there and understand, you know, their individual function. You know, Absolutely. so I can now focus on on the wildlife and and the wildlife experience. We've got a couple of comments here. We've got one from uh, David McConey, and he's saying in 1996 I was in grade six. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> when you do what you want, it's not a job, and time flies. As we get old, our minds stay young, but the body, ay 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 ay. Then we've got another. Um, we've got another one from Abby Dent. So Abby is uh, is a guide as well, but a different kind of guide. Abby is a, a kayak guide from Ecuador that's actually oh, in the wow. UK um, now that I'm supposed to be meeting up with soon. I promised Abby it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, 20 years is a good stretch. Also guided 20. Nothing wrong with that, but can only do two star jumps now. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, um, you better watch your ankle. <laughs> Abby, Abby's also saying, can't wait to check out your YouTube channel. Can it be linked later so we can check it out? So, yeah, we'll put the link in the comments or I will put it in the group anyway and we'll feature it nicely so that you can all see it. Um, and then Andrew McConey is asking you personally, uh, David, what is the most memorable experience you've had professionally guiding in Zim Parks or wildlife concessions? You know, it's a lot of people ask me that. In fact, almost on every safari around the campfire, you know, this almost becomes a campfire story. And I honestly cannot tell you a, a particular time that has stood out more than any other. Because each and every animal, it doesn't matter whether it's an impala, it doesn't matter whether it's a lion, it doesn't matter whether it's an elephant, each and every animal will have a certain thing that it does and it'll give you a certain impression and a certain... And I, I really, you know, for, for me, I, I greatly love the elephants of Manipals. And for the, the reason for this is because, you know, they are such gentle animals. They, you know, there's a degree of habituation there. And so with that, you know, they allow you to do so much more than you would say in Wange, in Gonorejo, and, you know. Um, so, so, you know, Manipals is a classic example of an area where, you could literally walk as the elephant's walking along. You're walking gently along with it. He's, he he walks up, and I, I've I've said this, you know, so many times where you know, and and you know, just giving the guest a, a wow experience, 
as the elephant, you know, stands on his back legs and pulls that old bit of branch off the tree. You know, obviously these bulls are under quite a lot of pressure in terms of being able to access enough nutrition. And mm. sadly, it's symptomatic of the fact that you know, the minor area is dying and there's a huge shortage of both browse and grazing. Um, but, you know, we have the benefits in terms of the fact that, you know, no elephants anywhere else in the world, as far as I'm aware, do stand on their back legs and the elephants of mine do. Um, but, you know, numerous experiences, you know, the, the lions, the lions, you know, you can walk up onto them, um, you know, with, you know, 20, 25 meters, you can just sit quietly and you can enjoy them as they interact with each other. You know, um, the other day we had a, well, I say the other day, this was last year, um, <laughs> you know, where, 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 where we're walking and we, we have a lion, two lioness, and they just come out of the croton, you know, and they're walking along towards the floodplain. And I said to the guests, I said, you know what, these guys are more than likely just probably going down to the water to drink. And, you know, it's, it's still really hot. So it's, a, it's an abnormal time for these guys to hunt. Mm. Well, with a very bad read because actually, Paul, what had happened was now, you know, Milo, dear Milo, you know, who's John Stevens' uh, son-in-law, he, he says to us, he says, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just follow with a vehicle and, and see where they go. And of course, he had his, you know, Huawei um, P30 Pro uh, um, phone with him. And the footage that he took was something that, you know, very rare to, to get, um, you know, was the actual lions hunting. The one lioness took off, caught an impala. The other lioness took off, caught a warthog. And here we were stuck in the croton at the back of camp thinking, well, okay, no, fine. We'll just, you know, go and find some other stuff. And in the meantime, oh. we watched all this begin and had this opted to, well, no, let's go find something else. And we, you know, we, we unfortunately missed it. Oh, um, that's such a shame. You know, and so, of course, you know, it's a case of, hey, Dave, you better get here. Um, you know, these lions have just killed a warthog in Impala. And by the way, I have the footage. And uh, so we got there in time to watch them feed. Not you know, one kill, uh, but two. That's, un it, that's it, unreal. It not one kill, but two. It was literally uh. a wolf. The one lioness took after a, an Impala, and she literally caught it in midair. And he got the ultimate shot. That's incredible. And the other um, lioness took after a warthog. Once again, um, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going back to the question on what's your most memorable experience, it's one of those situations, again, where when you live in a magical world, to look at one piece of magic and compare it to the next is almost impossible, isn't it? How, how do you, how do you, Paul? The you magic know, is there, whether it's one type of magic or the next, the magic is in, magic. In the late afternoon, we'll, we'll walk with the dogs on the floodplain, right? And the dogs typically will go to one of three points on the minor floodplain. So if they're not here, they'll be there or there. And so in the morning, late morning, if you found them, typically by 4.30, 5 o'clock, they're still going to be in the same place because they lie up in the heat of the day. And the trick of the minor floodplain is to be able to get there and to be able to get the sun as a backdrop on the dogs. So as the dogs start to get up and play, they kick up all this magical dust. You know, mm. as they play, they kick up this fine powdered alluvial soil which now you capture the sun through that and it gets that beautiful gold, you know. And, you know, when, when you experience that and they're playing with their puppies and they're motivating everyone and boom, off they go and they're on the hunt. And now yeah. off you go, you know, trying to catch up with them, which is physically impossible. I mean, these guys 
are like a jet. You know, even in a vehicle, you will not keep up. You know, it's it's just a crazy thing. You're going to have fact, to share some of those photos in the comments as well, or in the in the group later uh, after yes, the. Yes. Because yes, I'm sure I, people I would love to see those. Uh, Paul, I, I tell you what, you know, some of the photographic opportunity that we get is it's just such a privilege. And, and it's a day-to-day -day basis. It's not, you know, and, and, and interestingly, this is the same pack um, we spend a lot of time with that featured in the dynasties, in Attenborough's dynasties. I was just you know, about like, to ask you if it's that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a few different packs at play. Um, the Chirui pack, unfortunately, we're 14 in number, and then I don't know if they're still about today because the last time I saw them, there were only three adults and there were two puppies. You know, oh, so you know they, they got whittled out by by the lion and hyena. They have an enormous amount of competition, you know, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, mm. and the puppies get killed. The puppies get killed. So Paul, they they have a very very tough life, and and you know, but interestingly enough, with with the demise of of uh, of Blackton, because of just after the BBC documentary of Dynasties, um, you know, Blacktip, we were fortunate to to be around with her and the pack. But at the end of that season, the beginning of the following, she disappeared. She, she was old, though. You know, she was right at the end of her life. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, her alpha male, the very first day of the first safari um, of 2019, I witnessed um whiskey which was one of the subordinate females and a, a, a daughter of of blacktop mating with um mating with her alpha mm. and you know this was very unusual because you know they, they're not supposed to um you know uh, uh, you know uh, um you know um uh, reproduce within within the family structure mm. you know and so with that um it, it became quite an interesting um you know research piece in fact, Sir Thomas, who's resident uh, in minor pools and represents the PDC, the Painted Dog Conservation Project, I gave him the photographs. I said to him, Thomas, I don't know what I'm looking at here, but who is this and what is going on? And Thomas has said to me, uh, hold on, yeah, this shouldn't be happening. Quite interesting. Let's watch it. And yeah, for definitely for the whole of 2019, we really closely monitored, you know, what was going on there. And, and whiskey, interestingly enough, um, you know, although she dent extremely late. Um, you know, successfully raised um, pups, of which the majority of of them were killed by you know by hyena and, and lions, um, which is an ongoing struggle for the dogs. And uh, and then with that, you know, it's yeah, it's it's continued on, you know. So yeah. I, I look forward to getting back into minor pools and actually seeing firsthand, you know, the the, the updated picture because yeah, obviously is my experience from last year sadly i haven't been able to get back in but yeah, um, it's a long time as well it's almost it'll be almost a year that you, you haven't been there isn't it uh well yeah november november we we started to pack up uh, with with the uh, advent of of the rains um so yeah so we haven't been out you know with the covid epidemic um you know it's literally killed you know and everyone fortunately it hasn't killed the bookings but mm. what it's done is it's uh it's made people postpone, which is virtually, yeah, 2020 is, is a write-off at so many different levels. Um, so we are preparing to for 2021. And yeah. you know what we do, Paul, you know, as, as Zimbos, we, we continue on, you know, and for uh, sure. we look forward, we look forward. So we prepare and, and, uh, and hope that, hope that this all lifts and, you know, international flights today, 
uh, it was announced that international flights will will begin on the first of October. Thank um, so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful! Uh, what a what a great decision by our leadership to 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 open uh, our international flights and, and regional flights will be starting a little earlier uh, towards the end of September. I think so it's Paul, uh, what a I think it's it's great and it's positive, but we're not out the woods yet in that regard because. Uh, you know the the borders might be open, but are the people traveling? But um, so yeah, it's great that the, the the there was no cancellations and it's more of a postponement. But it still writes off the income earnings uh, for 2020 really, and that really has a massive impact. How does how does this affect the actual wildlife with the with the loss of the income from the tourism industry? You know, Paul, I, I think that that is probably the one question that needed to be asked the most. And the reason that I say that is because at so many different levels, there's different streams of income that come you know, from mm. tourism. So principally, you have your national park entry fee. Mm -hmm. So each and every one of the camps has a social obligation to different wildlife um, conservation efforts, anti-poaching, um, it's community. Community comes into it as well in terms of the fact that the guy sitting in his village you know, gets, you know, gets the benefit of a school rebuilt, gets the benefits of textbooks for the children, gets mm. the benefit of a feeding program. And all of this kind of stuff emanates from the safari camp. Um, in addition to, um, you know, the anti-poaching uh, units, which again, a certain percentage of the money from, from a safari will go towards that. But furthermore, we also have, you know, national parks themselves who really are the, are the ultimate authority. They are the guys that uh, not only control the national parks, but also run the anti-poaching efforts, you know, to try and keep the rhino alive, try and keep the elephant alive, you know, in areas where, where the rhino have been shot up. We obviously have, you know, we, we have a fairly large elephant population, mm. you know, in Zimbabwe that needs to be kept alive. And, um, you know, so national parks themselves, you know, are struggling to find salaries for, for their staff, you know, let alone the logistics of, of um, you know, of, of, you know, keeping a vehicle, you know, running, you know, mm. um, you know being able to, you know, resupply uh, your anti-poaching ranges with the very basic food stuff, such as Millimil. So at, at many, many different levels, um, the, the guys that are running anti-poaching um, that traditionally would have, um, you know, gotten money from, from uh, external sources, um, you know, uh, well wishes and what have you. These guys have also, Paul, these guys are in dire straits. Mm. Um, so, you know, so th this is something that really I, I wanted to talk about this evening because I, I really feel so strongly that, that these are all initiatives that really, really need, um, you know, as much support as, as, as possible. Mm. There's a lot of questions coming in, but we'll address them a bit later. So guys, don't think I'm ignoring you. We'll take them or I just don't want to break the flow of what we're talking about at the moment. So um, just to give perspective to people who don't really know and uh, don't understand the vastness of the Zimbabwe National Parks, do you, can you give some numbers on like how many square kilometers we're dealing with that are needing, you know, patrols, needing protection, needing um, where this work gets done? I mean, for perspective, I've read somewhere that uh, Wangi National Park itself is bigger than Belgium as a country. 
So um, when you start looking at it like that, you realize the kind of manpower and funding that has to go into managing that kind of thing. And also, if you can give us a, a bit of numbers regarding population densities of some of the big animals that, that people can relate to, to give them some perspective on, on what kind of cost is involved. 100%. I mean, you know, you, you look at it in the bigger picture. Wange National Park is 14,500 square kilometers. 14,500 yeah. square kilometers. So it's more than 200 kilometers in extent from the easternmost boundary to the westernmost boundary. More than 200 kilometers. That's amazing. Um, you know, from north to the south, you're probably looking at, I don't know the exact, but I, I'd say probably 450 kilometers from, from the north to the south. Oh, wow. Um, in addition to that, you've also got to consider that we have the Matetsi Safari area, which mm. is just north of Wangi National Park. And that comprises of six different units. Each one is on average about 500 square kilometers. Oh, you wow. Know, sorry, sorry. Five, uh, five, five, yeah, five, 500 square, uh, square kilometers. So, yeah, so it's a yeah, lot. 500 by six. I mean, that, that's a huge amount of area just in terms of safari area, which goes right up to the Zambezi River. So from northernmost boundary, the Pandamatenga Road, right up, you know, again, you're dealing with some hundreds of kilometers. Um, of of wilderness area, which is also in you know national parks has control over. Now, the trouble with Zimbabwe is that you know the, the, so the majority of the center central part of Zimbabwe is populated. Mm -hmm. uh, what essentially happened right at the beginning uh, with the advent of early colonization was that uh, you know all the most fertile land you know uh, essentially was was you know was farmed was turned into farming area. Um, but the, 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 the areas around the periphery of Zimbabwe essentially became national parks and safari areas. And the reason for that is because obviously the, these are areas that weren't ideal for farming necessarily. They had the fly such as the lower Zambezi Valley, which is where Mana Pools is. Um, you know, up to the, up to the uh, west, you had uh, Wange National Park, which is in the Kalahari Sands, which once again isn't ideal for cropping or cattle. Um, mm. Down in the south, you have the most beautiful park called Gonerejor, which uh, the place of the elephant, which is just the most stunning park you know you could ever visit. And but once again, you know it was not ideal. You know big problems with malaria and what have you. So it, it was essentially these kind of areas that people you know later on, 1924, Ted Davidson founded Wange National Park, and Paul and and with that. Um, you know, um, started up the very first what we would call conservation effort, you know, in terms of, um, you know, getting a place dedicated, you know, for wildlife. But mm. the amount of land available, I can't tell you offhand the square kilometer, but it is vast. It's vast. Yeah, it's vast. You know, we have, we have one of the biggest uh, elephant populations in Southern Africa, in Zimbabwe. And, you know, believe it or not, uh, you know, Wange National Park is estimated to have about 80,000 elephants. And uh, it's a population that's largely shared with Botswana. However, mm -hmm. you know, we need to consider that, you know, some years ago, in fact, if you look at the very early um, records, you know, of the very early pioneers coming through, they used to complain about black rhino charging them. So, you know, you'd be riding along on your horse and there was another black rhino, you'd be charged. And, you know, it was, it, you know, a lot of guys to an impala per se 
to say, you know, there's actually more black rhino here than Impala. This yeah. is ridiculous. Completely out of hand. In today's world, the tiny pockets of black rhino remaining in in uh, in Southern Africa. In fact, um, you know, there's there, there's about three and a half thousand black rhino uh, remaining in uh, in in the world right now. And so, you know, at one point in time, 150 years ago, you know, there were more black rhino than impala in some areas. And in today's world, there's actually a very small pool of, of them. And, you know, so we, we do need to to take careful consideration of the elephant. And, and, and you know, um, and one of the biggest problems, of course, Paul, is, is encroachment on, on, um, on, 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 wild, on wild spaces, human encroachment on wild spaces. As the human population is growing, um, so we have, you know, more and more human wildlife conflict along the boundaries of the parks. Um, and then furthermore, we, we also have, um, obviously, with that, um, you know, uh, more and more pressure to, to come into the parks. In fact, today we have just received the most wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, this is something that, that I've been monitoring very closely, um, you know, which has been the proposed uh, mining Operation in Wanga National Park, which is mm -hmm. in the northern reaches of, of Wanga National Park, and uh, thank God today, um, you know, the, the Speaker of Parliament. Uh, in fact, that was yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, the Speaker of Parliament uh, gave a little speech and to say that uh, you know the the Wanga uh, uh, mining project. In fact, it's it's been outlawed any mining within any national park in Zimbabwe. That's so thank God. We, we, yeah, we, the parks are saved for the time being. Um, that's, that's magnificent news. Um, just another bit of perspective on that. I just did a little Google search, and you said Wangi National Park is how much? 15,000 or 14,000 square kilometers? 14,500 square kilometers. Okay, so the whole of Wales is 21,000 square kilometers. My word, yeah, yeah. So, so that gives a bit of perspective. Well, that's fantastic news about um, about Wangi. That was uh, <laughs> that was. I mean, when I saw when I saw the the, the accusation made on uh, on Facebook, I was devastated, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Oh, well, I could believe my eyes because the I've I I've seen a lot of stupid shit happen in, in Zimbabwe. <laughs> so, but I'm I'm very happy that the 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 whole thing's been overturned and and made. Um, outlawed, but yeah, hopefully it's as Daniel Daniel's saying here. Is it written in stone? I mean, who knows? <laughs> like, what is and what isn't written in yeah, stone? Well, in you, you know what? You know, I, I, I think I think we have to we have to consider that there were there was a, a heartfelt appeal uh, put out by Blessing Munyanyiwa, who's a major stakeholder in the industry, but also you know he has a true love for Africa. In fact, his business is called Love for Africa. And the man is passionate through and through. And Blessing actually put out a, a, a message on social media, an open message to the president, um, you know, requesting that, please, you know, for our children's children, this needs to, this needs to stop. And, and uh, the very following day, it, it did. It did. Um, and, yeah, uh, look, you know, Generally speaking, when the Speaker of Parliament uh, stands up and says, no, the, the mining is outlawed in the national parks, Daniel, I, I would say that you can probably set it in stone, you know? 
Well, let's let's just hope. And I think I think the general outcry from the public showed that there was I don't think there was anybody that was on sides with it. So I, I think they realized that there was no way to get around that one and that if they tried to do that, not only would there be a, a local outcry, but it would be a massive international one because as much as uh, Zimbabwe's humanitarian rights get uh, ignored by the international um, media, uh, they like to jump on the the animal rights bandwagon quite quickly. So I think that would have been a quick way to bring a bit too much attention to the country. And, you know, the some people don't like too much attention at the moment. So... No, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah going going back i want to do some of these comments because they're starting to pile up and we've already been going for 40 minutes which is crazy you know how it goes so fast when you've got a lot to talk about and have too much fun um abby wants to know uh david what would be one of the hardships you would deal with there or the biggest challenge but i'm going to couple that comment with um another one i saw from ashley de bourbon because i think they are going to be related has there been a notable increase in poaching during these uncertain low tourism months and how can we directly support anti-poaching teams okay so so ashley um if you are in okay so so there's some wonderful anti-poaching initiatives in fact there's there's more um, stuff going on out there behind the scenes than what we what we actually realized. Um, there's the most wonderful project called the Zambezi Elephant Fund. Now the Zambezi Elephant Fund, um, you know, is principally headed up, um, you know, by some wonderful guys based in Harare. Um, the principal family being uh, John and Nikki Stevens, and um, you know, they have a, a marathon every year. Uh, in fact, well, in fact, no, this is incorrect. The, for the last last year and the year before that, um, the, the, the New York Marathon, any proceeds that went from the New York Marathon was channeled to the Zambezi Elephant Fund, which was such a wonderful windfall for the guys. That's and amazing. Zambezi, once again, you know, they, they, they put a lot of focus on, um, you know, backing up national parks which is such a, a, a wonderful and fresh idea because a lot of people in the conservation world feel that they should do stuff completely alone and would rather spend the money where they exactly they want it to go, where these guys have said, no, no, we're not going to do that. What mm. we're going to do is we're going to work with national parks. We, if the scouts, if the, if the rangers, anti-poaching rangers who are on the ground being bitten by tsetse flies all day long and are looking for the poachers, that are, are hunting the elephants. Well, what essentially now happens is that they are the guys that are on the front line. They need the, the necessary training. The Zambezi elephant hunt, hunt backs them up on that and, and assists them with ammunition for, for shooting courses to teach the guys how to shoot. So mm -hmm. in the event, because you, you understand that the, the AK-47 that the poacher carries is not only for uh, you know, uh, for the animal, but also for the anti-poaching teams too. Absolutely. You have SAVE, um, headed up by Nicholas Duncan. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, this is an organization that, that we got involved with uh, a few months back uh, where we, we ran a, a thing called Rave the Rhino. And uh, I, what I we was did was, a, yeah, and, uh, we did a live stream music event, you know, uh, using some local DJs with a rave, you know, and it was, yeah, it was wonderful, you know, to, to see, you know, 
everyone uh, you know um, you know involved with that and uh, you know so it all comes up with save so, so, you know the African Rhino Foundation headed up by Nicholas Duncan they're in Perth but Nicholas Duncan once again deals directly with national parks and assists them with so many different initiatives in, a, in addition are you there Paul yeah I'm there but you've frozen your your streams frozen for some reason but I think it's coming back okay yeah, you back. okay you're back yeah, you got <laughs> okay okay so, so yeah so so in in conjunction with you know Dumbari trust and what have you we we really you know there's there's so many different initiatives so so what I can suggest to you is try as best you can to to channel your money into the project that you feel um, you know where, where your passion lies mm. uh, there's the Bayton dog conservation project uh, which is headed up by Peter Blinston they're based in Lanka National Park they have introduced a pack of dogs into minor pools, but they also principally have had a researcher on the ground there, non-stop, trying to better understand what's happening with the dog. So you've got painted dog conservation. You've got the Lion Project, which is headed up by, um, you know, Wild Crew and Dr. Andy Loveridge. Now, Wild Crew is sponsored by Oxford University, and uh, they they specialize in, in the, uh, you know, in the in the lion, you know, stuff. So, mm. yeah, there, there are, there's so much out there. I really can't finger an individual uh, uh, project, but I most certainly would encourage you, where possible, to support any initiative that you think is, is you know, that's, that's great. Absolutely. And I think, I think where you stressed a, a support and initiative that speaks to you is, is important because um, there are a lot of initiatives. It's hard to choose, but... Um, you know, and if you support one that's really speaking to you and has a cause close to your heart, then you'll feel like what you're doing is uh, is in line with your ethics and your values. I think that's more important, so that you you feel like um, you're not being, you know, taken advantage of. I don't know how to articulate what I'm trying to say, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah. As long as you feel like that organization is in line with the values and ethics that that are that that you feel, then it's they're they're yeah. all good. They're all trying to do something good. They're all doing good. They're all equally deserving of help and finance as the next one. They're all doing different work in different areas. There's no greater yeah. or lesser I mean, one. Another one called uh, the Boomy Hills Anti-Poaching Unit, Papu. Oh, yeah, they are, they are right on the border with the Matusadona National Park. And they spend an enormous amount of time, you know, darting um, elephants that have walked through snares, darting lions. They walk through snares. They get it, you know, and and principally they do spend a lot of time covering ground, um, not only on the lake, you know, itself, uh, pulling up kilometers of gill nets, you know, from illegal fishing, but also covering ground on land, you know, looking for for the elephant poachers. You Absolutely. know, so it's just there. There are so many that it's hard to it's hard to single out an individual one. They all do Obviously. great work. Obviously, like me, uh, some of the ones that are close to my heart, Bapu is one of them because I have mates who are involved with it. Uh, Vapu, Vic Falls Anti-Poaching Unit, uh, headed by Charles Brightman, is very close to my heart because it's from – I lived in Vic Falls for a long time. I know Charles. He's a hell of a good guy. There's there's uh, Vic Falls Wildlife Trust. There, there's just – there's IAPF, International Anti-Poaching Foundation. There's just really so many um, – 
to 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 list that you know you just gotta you gotta look at something that's close to your heart do a google search look in the area do a bit of homework see what they're doing and see if it's something that resonates with you at the end of the day exactly that's the way to go um let's do some more we've got about 10 minutes i mean it's not a hard one hour but i tried to keep it around one hour because um, you and i we can talk for days bro so uh, <laughs> so but also i think um i mean we've covered literally a third of what i wanted to cover so i think you and i are going to have to do this again sometime soon uh, I've said this to a few guests, but it's, it seems like the hour goes so quickly. And with the interaction and the questions from everybody else, the time goes pretty fast. So I, I would love to have you back at another stage as well. Yeah. Um, going right back, we're going to just chuck in some of the questions from the from the watchers, from the viewers. Um, going right back to, uh, this is from Togolosh Zim. <laughs> And he says, if foreigners come visit under normal circumstances, when is the best time of year to visit and where? To add to his question, what areas do you operate in primarily? Do you have specific specialty areas or do you operate the whole country? You know, for, for me, Paul, I, I, I operate in the areas that I know. Mm. And I'll tell you what, the, the Matopas for me is, is home. Manapool is home. Wanga National Park is home and Ghana is your, I love Ghana. But really, yeah. I, I principally like to, to work the areas that I, I know, you know, um, you know to, to, to enhance guest experience, to give people the best possible, um, you know, experience. Because, you know, you must understand that, you know, with, with guiding, there's more to it than the wildlife. There's the history. There's the vegetation. Uh, there's the geology of the particular area. So there's so many different facets. To an area that you need to understand um, if you don't know the area you're just not going to be able to to represent the area in the best possible way so so with that what, what i would suggest is minor pools in the month of august and i hate to say this in fact i'm sure there's there's uh there's agent uh, booking agents out there going no you didn't just say that because that is the most chaotic time of the year you know, for, for anyone. In fact, the industry explodes in the month of August. But I would say, you know, your 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 late dry season is by mm. far the best time. And of course, minor pools for me, because at that time of the year, all the pans deepen the jess, you know, out towards the escarpments are now dry. And mm. so with that, you have a migration of uh, of big herds of buffalo. You have the elephants, you know, and, and everything else, hippo, hippo start to now come inland you know, looking for vegetation. So you, so you have an enormous amount, in fact, so much more than you would ordinarily. The lions will follow the, the buffalo out of the jess. So you have a vastly different dynamic, you know, from the month of August, September, than you would at, at any other time. So Absolutely. from August, October is too hot. It's just too hot. In Suicide month, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And, you know, mana, it'll get to 50, 50 degrees, Yo. you know. Um, and with that high humidity, it just becomes an absolute cooker, you know. So I would definitely say August, September. Okay, great. So here's a here's some praise from a, a past guest and a good friend of mine, Sisa Tunzi, saying Dave is one great safari legend, masters of the bushcraft. I used to bump into him at Cinematella Gate when he was with Camp Wangi. His persona is great and he's very approachable. Sky is not the limit. Aim, aim yonder, bro. <laughs> 
Oh, Cesar, how's it, bugger? Oh, lovely to see you there. Oh, brilliant, man. But to add to that, Cesar, one of the things that I've always taken from Dave is his absolute enthusiasm and smile. Like wherever this guy goes, he brings a smile to people's faces. And that's a, a massive quality that I, I take from you, bro. I really hats off to you for that. Oh, Paul. Thanks, bugger. Yeah, that's it's all good, man. You know, we do what we do, hey? You know, in the same as the, the work that you're doing is invaluable. You know, promoting um, hardware. And that's that's where your <laughs> Your heart and your passion lies. It's right here in Zim, and you know it's just amazing. And and the work that you do, principally, you know, behind the microphone there, that that's that's what helps to drive Zimbabwe and create an awareness, an awareness that people otherwise wouldn't have. So awesome, man! Awesome, man! Well, thank well, you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, we've got another comment from Brito Maseko. He's saying, uh, oh, Brito. Yeah. Brito was also a past guest. Um, David Amiot, it's been long. Good to hear the great news you're sharing. Thank you, gentlemen, for such conversations. Our efforts in the conservation will surely come to fruition. Absolutely. And then there was another from Abby. It's just, ooh, I'm, I'm going all over the place with these comments at the moment. Um, she said... That's amazing. So happy to hear help if directed in that area. It has, it's been a really hard thing to see the amount of poaching. Definitely what I was wondering alongside Ashley's question, alongside the YouTube channel, I'm guessing these uh, initiatives will be posted. I mean, we, we can't post all the anti-poaching initiatives. Maybe Dave will put in a couple of his uh, close to his heart, but there are literally hundreds to choose from. So it's, it's got to be a Google search um, and a bit of a, you know, look and see what what speaks to you, type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe just just off the top of my head, I mean, we've got we've got wonderful stuff going on. We've got the Dambari Trust, and these are guys that are principally working in the Matopas with the rhino, doing monitoring and surveys. Um, you know, we've got the Zambezi Elephant Fund, ZEF. Um, you know, which is just again an, an amazing initiative. That's really assisted, um, you know, the, the 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 departments of national parks in terms of support and a vehicle. Um, so so you can you can put your money there. Um, you've got Boomi Hills Anti Poaching Unit. The Ome is probably one of the hardest hit uh, areas in terms of poaching in Zimbabwe. Um, and yeah, Mark Brightman heads up uh, Bapu Boomi Hills Anti Poaching Unit. You've got mm -hmm. Bapu which is uh, Charles Brightman, who Paul mentioned earlier. I mean, Charles Brightman does amazing work in the Victoria Falls. And although we, we, we all assume that, no, well, it's a, Victoria Falls is a tourist town. And so with that, the wildlife are in good shape, but actually not. You know, mm. they're under enormous amount of, of pressure. And so Charles Brightman, again, dedicates an enormous amount of time and resources to try and keep the, the wildlife going. And obviously not in Victoria Falls town, uh, but they... Their, their work extends right into the Matete Safari area. So, and, you know, it's all worthwhile projects. And also this work, this anti-poaching work, is it's not glamorous, it's not romantic, it's thankless, it's hard, it's toil, it's massive, massive, massive hard work that goes into anti-poaching and, and these jobs that these guys, these initiatives do. And 
you know, another another hats off bit of respect to all the guys uh, and people on the ground who are doing this amazing work because it really is tough out there in the sticks, um, doing lots of mileage on foot under harsh conditions, in dangerous conditions a lot of the time. You know, sometimes sh uh, poachers shoot back too, and um, it's it's a, it really is a, a, a vocation a vocational type thing. I, uh, a dry, uh, a profession of passion and um you know it's just it's incredible what they actually do it's it's unbelievable we've got some more high praise coming from brito uh david your passion is amazing i remember the safari walk we did after an ace guides emergency course together at, jo at john's camp minor pools <laughs> yes yes oh brito you you are amazing my friend I mean, it's just absolutely incredible you know, just the, the, the amount of knowledge that you impart, you know, and, you know, I, I can remember sitting, you know, with, with Brito doing his thing. He's an amazing, you know, just, just, just the most amazing, um, you know, advanced first aid course that he runs, you know, in conjunction with, with uh, Mark. And uh, just amazing. And, you know, I can remember sitting with the guys and, and suddenly, you know, there's, there's someone that's, uh, that's that's been injured and uh you know this is right at the conclusion of the course and uh you know everyone you know runs around and you know does their thing and just yeah you, you just create so much so much awareness and i tell you what because it will probably be the waiter or the you know or the first respondent could be virtually the guy that cuts the wood and those are mm -hmm. the guys that you are, are are teaching the first aid to which is just such such value it is so, valuable yeah Okay, so yeah. we we we're gonna start winding down, um, but I want to just give you a couple of fun questions. Um, one's come through from Baron Pretorius, um, and uh, yeah, just a couple of fun questions, just to to lighten the mood a little bit as we wind down and close things up. If anyone's got any uh, burning questions that they really want to ask, chuck them in now, and we'll pro we'll try and get those in at the end uh, as we as we wind this thing down, but. Uh, the one that the first one we'll take is uh, Barron's one, which is uh, what's the closest encounter you've had with one of the big five? Okay, so <clears throat> one day on a walk in in Wanga National Park, um, I had a I had a lady and her her fourteen year old daughter. Uh, she, was, she was an English lawyer, and um, you know I'll never I'll never forget seeing this bull elephant. Um, you know. He was seemingly fast asleep out by a set of pans. Um, and I, I, I recall thinking to myself, well, there's something very deeply troubled about that guy. So we won't get too close, but we'll, we'll go up and have a look at him. So I parked the vehicle some distance away, you know, downwind, and we walked in. And, um, you know, and, and I, I, I got up to the guy, and there was something again, you know, you know, those alarm bells start to go off. And so with that, I said, you know what, we, 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 we probably better start backing off. And so with that, um, you know, backed off to about probably 35, 40 meters or so, because I could see that this guy wasn't square. We'd gotten up to about 10 meters. And anyway, I gently backed off. And then I started to talk normally. Now, often we as guides will use our voices as a, as a means of gauging the animal's responses and understanding mm. better what the individual animal is, is up to. Some of these elephants, in Wanga in particular, haven't seen people for months on end. And so with that, in fact, may not see people for years on end because they, mm. it's a 
huge amounts of area shared with Botswana. And so the moment I started to talk, this elephant high-stepped and he came. And uh, literally, when I say that the charge, he, he's, the dust flew off that guy's back and uh, he turned at about six meters. Shit. And, uh, I'll, never, I'll, never, <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, and, and literally I was just on the verge of, of pulling the trigger. You know, in Zimbabwe, we put a lot of emphasis on, 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 on safety. And yeah. so our examinations are very regimented. It's a six-day practical examination. And the examiners put an enormous amount of emphasis on safety and the candidate's ability to, to defend him and his guests. And so with that, um, you know, I was just about to um, uh, shoot the elephant and turn it six meters. It turned out um, because I, it didn't make sense. An elephant of that age, you know, you're, you're looking at a 45-year-old bull elephant. It didn't make sense that he was he was he would have reacted that way. Even mm. the bulls in, in must, you know, they, they, they don't do that. Mm. And it turned out that that guy had been gut shot by a poacher maybe days before. We didn't know. So the guy was in dire straits. He was in an enormous amount of pain. And sure. so with that, uh, we unknowingly... So so these are the dangers with a walking safari. But don't miss out on it because it is the most amazing experience. It, it removes you. A walking safari will remove you from your comfort zone of the vehicle. And you, you now find yourself completely exposed. And that's mm. the magic of, of the walking safari. You know, you start to use other senses, you know. So I've got a I've got a greeting here for you. I want to see if you can guess who this is that's saying hi. Saying hi, Mr. Aim Straight. Oh my word, Mr. Lawrence. Is that Anthony? Is that Anthony Austin? Ah, it's Anthony Austin. Well done. <laughs> Anthony, how are you bugger? Lovely, lovely. Ah, so glad you're on the show, man. Hey. There Very cool. Ah, oh, man. So here we've got one from Brito again. What's your favorite national park in Zimbabwe? Just one. You have to pick one. Brito, where, where we last met, where we last met, and I'll, I don't think I need to give you another clue, but the last, the last time that Brito and I were together was at John's camp in Manapools. And, you know, that is the jewel in Zimbabwe's crown of parts. Manapools is beyond shadow of a doubt, probably the most natural of the wild areas with the most incredible wildlife. And with their degree of habituation, you will never have an experience on foot, um, you know, with an, an animal like you will in minor pools with members of the big five. So definitely without a doubt. So I'm going to make a declaration here right now. Um, Brito, Caesar, Dave, all my safari guide buddies. Um, I'll talk to Dean as well, Dean McGregor, see if he's on board. But I want wow. when I um, when I visit back home next, all of us together as bros are going to go on a trip to Mana for one week or, or five days or so, and it'll just be a complete dog show of of all you uh, hard in the dust guides. And me and we we're just gonna go and enjoy the the bunch of us together. Oh, we'll do this. We we need to do this. Yeah, I think it'll be lacko. It'll be a nice exercise of sharing sharing resources, sharing ideas, being in the environment together, being in the bush together, 
feeding off of each other a little bit, re, uh, rekindling our love for the for the bush. And I yeah. think all of us together will have a magnificent time out there, bringing yeah. bringing our own personal um, nuances and touches to each other. And <laughs> sounds like we're going to go in the bush and touch each other. That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think there's there's no value better than 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 people of a like-minded nature sharing information. You know, and and this is the this is what I love about guiding ports. You know, you have people that have a passion for the bush, and you take them out. They've they've been to the Kruger, they've been here, they've been there, but they now want something different. And mm. the, these are people that are well traveled, so they understand the bush. And to be able to take them out and to be able to share with them and learn from them as such, you know, I, I never look at a person, say, from the States who, who have come from the States, lived there their entire lives. And, you know, and, and I'll never say, well, you know what? No, you're from the States. You, you know, if anything, I, I, I love to learn from my guests, you know, and, you know, and, you know, and vice versa. We just have an exchange of information. You know, and it's a, and it's the same with you guys, Paul. Oh man, you know, there's there'll be a lot of stuff that I definitely will learn from you. You know, and in fact, how to keep alive and hippo infested waters, I think, will be one of the first questions I'll ask. <laughs> Mate, the only the only uh, stuff I'll teach you is how to act like a muppet and get away with it. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, We've got Brito saying, Paul, your declaration has been accepted. I'm excited and happy to be the medic on standby. That's fantastic. And then Val Chikali is saying, oh, you left us out. I hear the bonding is going to happen. So what we'll do is we'll go and bond and make an effort of the whole thing. And then we'll open an invitation to everyone in the group who wants to come on a safari with a lot of us. And we'll make a complete dog show of the whole thing. Lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> we can do a, a big, a big uh, guided safari for everyone in the group. <laughs> Who wants to join? The, 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 be the beauty of minor pools, as it stands, is that you can buy a walking permit, and any anyone can walk in minor pools. You know, I personally wouldn't walk minor pools without a rifle because you're dealing with animals that that you know may have an objection with you being there. But you know, right now you can officially go to the office and say, right, this morning I'm going for a walk. This is the area I'm going to walk, and you can. Completely free to walk the floodplain, and so you know, definitely, you know, Paul, oh, yeah, hundred percent. When we can go and have a gas, obviously, yeah, I'll take, I'll take, uh, you know, all the necessary equipment, but uh, we'll go and have some fun with that, eh? and to to share with guys like Brito and Cesa and Dean McGregor. My word, wow! And if we can throw Dalzell in the in the equation, Andrew Dalzell has to be there, so it's a compulsory. We'll bring that's Andy. Dean, you, yeah, yeah, it's going to be lacquer. We'll have a we're legends, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll make it happen, and it's it. Hopefully, if not next year, it'll be the year after. Yeah, yeah. We'll give we'll leave you guys next year because you guys are going to be busy because of and you need to <laughs> you need to put some coin in those purses again from this drought. <laughs> but to, uh, catching up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After next year, when everything's going again, then we'll celebrate with our trip the following year. But uh, Abby's saying here yeah, that we better hide the dates and, and uh, the time and dates that we do it. Otherwise, the entire chat group will show up at the airport with binoculars. That's <laughs> lacking. Lovely. Lovely. And uh, Beatrice Leman says, great, I'm in. 
all right yeah. well i think we're gonna we're gonna um put it to sleep there and uh Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, mate. And it's so good to connect again and, uh, and chat. And, and uh, that enthusiasm, as always, has left me with a smile on my face and a, and a good mood for the rest of the day. So that's oh, going to be wonderful. But seriously, we need to do this again. There's a thousand things we haven't covered, a thousand things we still need to talk about. And like we said earlier, you and I, we can talk from now until next week and it'll we still won't be finished. So, um, it's yeah. It's all good, Mark. All good. It's, it's never time wasted, you know. Sure. To share, to share the bush with with like-minded people. Like I say, I mean, you know, I, you know, it's there's just no, there's just no better value than, than you know, to me. I, I I love it. I love it to be able to share. So anytime, Paul. Anytime. Love like it. I mean, that's that's awesome. I I share the same sentiment. It's all about sharing the experience and and learning and growing off each other. So with that said. Thank you again and uh, good night, everybody. And thank you to everybody who's joined us this evening. Um, I'm just going to give you the closing speech that I give every week. You know, we're here every single Wednesday, same time. Although when uh, the clocks change here in England, I'm probably going to change the time a bit. I'd like to hear from you guys what you think. I think it's probably going to move up to 8 p.m. on a, in a Zim time because uh, I need more time. When the clocks change here, it'll be a two-hour difference, and I can't do this at 5 o'clock because I only finish work at 5 um, so I'd have to move it to six o'clock here, which would be eight o'clock for you guys. And I think a lot of people said 7 p.m. is not a great time because of kids and bedtime and all that sort of thing. So let me know what you guys think. Comment and tell me what times you think would be a good, but I'm going to work towards eight o'clock. So it'll be uh, same time every week, different guest, different topic. Next week, we've got an interesting guest um, from Bulawayo. His name's Corey Schultz. Uh, it's a very interesting topic. I'm not going to give away too much now. Um, but yeah, uh, if you find value in this, please share the, the YouTube link and the podcast link with your friends and family and other people that you think might benefit from listening to this. Invite friends and family into the group if you think they'd want to interact in it because I'm keeping the interactive live feed specifically for you guys in the group. Um, post in the group, discuss with each other. The whole point of the Social with Swintway group is to be able to talk and share perspectives and have intellectual debates about things without getting emotional and heated and you know, actually have good discussions and learn from each other. Um, if you want to, if you want to, uh, I know I promised this last time and I haven't done it yet, but I'm intending on having a, a discussion fee, uh, like a thread for each um, each uh, guest, where we put information about that guest and he can actually comment and reply to your comments directly on each thread. So I'll, I'll start doing that um, probably from tomorrow. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you for, for the support. It's been amazing. We're 20 weeks, 19, 19 weeks, 20 weeks. Is this episode 19, I think? Oh, it's episode 19. So 19 solid weeks we've been doing this, 19 episodes. It's been amazing. It's something that I started on a whim because I thought it was uh, going to be fun and it's been amazing. And so for 19 weeks solid, we've been going and I don't see any end to it. So um, yeah, thanks for all the support and uh, getting involved and everyone who actually interacts. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. David, thank you again and good night to everybody. Thanks, everybody. Cheers, cheers.